Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Sunny Mary Metal Podcast. I am your host, Liz Fiddler, and today I have Jesse from kind of across the country compared to where I live in Zone 4B, Minnesota. So, Jesse, why don't you tell us your name? Tell us where you live and tell us why you're on here. Yeah, thanks, Liz. I'm so excited to be on here. So my name is Jesse. I live in New Jersey. So I am in zone 7A now. And I am the owner of Bear Flower Farm. So that's B-A-R-E. Uh, and one of the first questions I always guess is, get is what does Bear stand for? So it actually stands for bringing antiseptic resources to everyone, which obviously has no relationship with flowers. But it's a it's basically a homage to the system company that I had before, which was a soap company. And it really was the foundation for why I started flower farming. So really to sum it all up, it's really because I had a sustainable first soap company and it kind of felt weird just shipping packages across the country to like California and Texas, which happened to be my top states. And I wanted a more local product. And it just so happened that the packaging that I chose for my bar soap was plantable packaging. So when I chose that, I had never grown anything, let alone a single flower. And throughout the years, I started getting into vegetable gardening then eventually learned about intercrop or interplanting, companion planting with flowers the plantable package came in and lo and behold, now I have a flower farm. So it's kind of been of a journey, but yeah. So the name pays homage to where the foundations come from. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. A lot of the flower farmers that I follow have a really similar backstory. You know, people think, oh, did you always have a passion for flowers? Did you always grow flowers? And most of us are like, no. I mean, I was interested in flowers in FFA in high school, but I didn't have a big flower garden or anything like that. But for me, I knew, you know, we bought this property because it was my late husband's family farm and we knew we were going to live here. And ultimately what it came down to was it's expensive to live in the country. And so I need a business off of this property so that my taxes are agriculture so that my, you know, my every, all the, you know, insurance and everything that I'm paying can be a write-off because I can't afford to live here with my W-2 job. And so I was like, I just, I need to have some sort of crop, some sort of product. And we thought maybe like a farmer's market, a vegetable garden, like have some animals, you know, steers and people could buy like quarters of meat or, you know, we were just brainstorming all these ideas. I never thought I'd have a flower farm, but here I am and I love it. And of course that's where my, my passion lies and, you know, learning how to do it well, but I think most of the really successful flower farms that I see, it just kind of happened. I don't know. So it sounds like that's kind of your story too, that you started out with soap. Yeah. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned about just, you know, wanting a crop to um, really have like a side income, right. To supplement mm -hmm. the standard of living. And I would say that what really like jump-started this flower farming dream was my husband and I were living in a townhouse and my husband's a realtor. So he actually showed a house to a family and I was like, oh my God, if they don't take that house, like we need to take that mm -hmm. house. And we lost the house. So of yeah. course, it's like once you start house shopping, even though you weren't ever thinking about doing it, like we thought we were going to move in like five years. Yeah. It's like, you can't undo it. So then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, like I want to get out of this townhouse. I mm -hmm. want to 
or legitimate garden and space to grow. So then we started looking and of course there was nothing. This is like yeah. 2021. 20, so mm-hmm. then we started looking at land and in New Jersey, if you have a property that's above five acres and you farm, you qualify for property tax relief. So New Jersey is known for really, really high property taxes. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the tax relief on the house part that the land sits on, but you get relief for every other part. And because I had been watching a ton of YouTube flower content, I was like, oh, flowers make total sense. Like profitability yep. square foot, things started lining up. It's like, oh, it's like mm-hmm. such a local product. And it was just like something that I was like desiring moving towards anyway. So then it was like, then the flower farm dream came to fruition. And then mm-hmm. I couldn't undo that. And then we eventually really moved here so I could flower farm. That's so awesome. I think I had post- I can't remember. Did you follow the podcast before or did you find me in that flower group? I actually followed your podcast as okay. well as then saw your post. On okay. The okay. Market. So I always, I always wonder like <laughs> who's finding out about me? Like, how do you know? Um, so, okay. So you already listened to the podcast and then I said, you know, I'm looking for, these are ideas I have for episodes in the upcoming months. I want to record someone because I don't claim to be an expert on everything. Obviously not. I am telling you how I do it, how it works. And I think you know, so I have my coaching business where I coach other flower farmers and I have my course peddling perishable products and I, I teach them how to do it. And I think what makes me relatable or even with the podcast is, no, I'm a nurse practitioner. <laughs> I have a doctorate degree, but I, I did not have to go to school for horticulture. I did not have to go to school for business. Although with my doctorate, I did have quite a few like administrative courses and leadership courses. So it kind of prepared me, but not the way it should have or could have. And so I think, you know, That's what the majority of flower farmers across the country are, is they didn't go to school for this either, but they're to teach me how to do it in a real practical way. Don't give me, you know, all of this stuff. You know, eventually you start looking at, okay, now I need to soil something. Now I need to add nutrients. Now I need to get better efficient crops, but eventually you start getting creative. And so that was one of the reasons that what we're going to talk about today, and it's, it's been a little bit getting into the intro. So sorry guys, but we're going to talk about tulips. So tell us how you uniquely grow 11,000 tulips inside of your house in the wintertime. Yeah. I'm excited for this. Yeah. So I hydroponically force tulips. So I force them in two areas. I have a pole barn, which we actually accelerated the building of this year because I had such a successful trial run last year that I said to my husband one day in January, is like, if I want to scale this winter tulip operation, we need to move out of our current attached garage and we need to get started on that pole barn, right? So the first phase is in the pole barn and that's where the rooting happens. And then we go into our basement, which stays at this like consistent 61 degrees Fahrenheit throughout the winter. So it's perfect for the growing phase of tulips without Mm -hmm. needing any supplemental heating. So I saw an ad for the tulip workshop before we even closed on this house. I think we had just started, I think we had just started the process of putting an offer on this house Mm -hmm. and immediately it resonated with me because I, I was always just struck by how at least in the Northern hemisphere, it's so hard for us to hit Valentine's day, right? Mm -hmm. So Valentine's day flowers are typically imported and it's just such a huge miss, right? Unless if you're Mm -hmm. living in the South of the U S. So when I saw the ad, it was like, oh my God, this is perfect, right? Like if I'm really trying to get a more local product and live this more sustainable lifestyle concept, then 
growing tulips this time of year would be perfect. Mm -hmm. So I signed up for the course without ever having grown a single tulip and without yeah, knowing why not? Why not? Yeah, exactly. Or I without knowing who would get the house before I even like finish my ranunculus and my family. Yeah. Why do we need that? I'm like for the ranunculus. And he's like, <laughs> I thought you couldn't grow that in Minnesota. I'm like, well, we're gonna. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I mean, like when things make business sense, but also just really align to your values, you try to make it work. Right. Mm -hmm. So the investment in the workshop was a relatively high investment. I mean, it's like $1,600. Mm -hmm. So I took it, I even went onto the farm of one of the instructors. So one of the instructors is Emily Von Trapp. She's up in Vermont and she's mm -hmm. been doing this for like a couple of decades at this point. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram, of course. Yeah. So, so it was awesome getting to see her operations. And when I came back, it was just like, I think I can really make this work. So I feel like that workshop gives you a really good fundamental basis or just like scientific foundation of like, what does a bulb need? Because when you're forcing any kind of bulb, you're really trying to trick it into growing, thinking that it's the ideal condition to grow, right? In my case, I'm buying pre-chilled bulbs from the bulb supplier. So winter is already faked, but then I'm now trying to mimic spring conditions, right? So you've yeah. got to mimic the conditions for them to set roots. And then you've got to mimic the conditions for them to actually grow. Yeah. So the tool workshop does a really good job of giving you that foundation. But then what mm -hmm. I've learned throughout the past season and even this one, so this month I've already got tulips is that there's just like so many other variables that you can play with and learn about to, to really succeed in this. Yeah. So for those that don't know, hydroponic growing of tulips means like you don't use any dirt at all, right? Correct. Just, Just water, water and nothing else because everything is contained in the bulb. You don't need any fertilizer mm -hmm. and, and we're treating these as annuals, right? So yep. as we would in the field. Okay. So let's kind of walk through the basic process of how you do it. I mean, what type of containers, how many, you know, do you space them the way you would, you know, eggs in a carton, the way you do other tulips or just, just. Start at the beginning and share whatever knowledge you may have. Yeah. So for hydroponics, you actually buy these hydroponic trays and they come with these little, like they're like needle prick points. And that's where you put the bulb on so that the bulb, bulb stays snug. And each tray can fit anywhere from, we'll call it 85 on the low end to 105 on the high end. It depends on the bulb size, how good you are at what I call like tetrising the, the bulbs together, right? To maximize the space. Mm -hmm. And then you fill it up with water. The trays actually have a hole. So that way, in case of you overfill it, it, it naturally drains out. And then that's basically about it. So then you wait for them to root. And then when it has sufficient roots, then you move them over into your grow space. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really like basics 101 in terms mm -hmm. of just like, it's not hard as a concept. Yep. I think what becomes hard is how do you have conditions in your home where you can keep that kind of stuff consistent, right? Okay. Because especially if you're not providing any supplemental heating or cooling, or you're, you're not trying to obviously like between November through February outside conditions are going to vary so much. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So how long would you say, I mean, from when you plant them, if they're already pre-chilled, like what, what's the process? What's the bloom time? My turnover will go anywhere from five to seven weeks, depending on the variety. So when you grow tulips out in the field, obviously there's 
early, mid, late. And sometimes that is dictated by the variety of tulip that you have, right? So obviously singles are going to come earlier, like triumphs usually come the earliest, right? But then if you have like a double, those are usually going to come a little bit later. So it's very similar to in hydroponic forcing. Um, you know, I'm forcing two varieties right now. They're both triumphs. And even there, there's a difference where there's at least a week of a difference in terms of turnover because mm-hmm. one variety just naturally takes a little bit longer to, to butt up. So, yeah. Huh. And then, yeah, you just cut it off like you would, but you don't have to wash them. They're not covered in dirt. Exactly. I'm like, wait a minute. Exactly. All of mine and how dirty they are. And I mean, it's, so it's kind of funny. I feel like once you've grown field tulips at a time mm-hmm. of year where it's like muddy and wet and spring, you know, exactly like you can see why this is so awesome. Right. I get to harvest yes. pajamas in the basement. Yes. I mean, you literally I, saw the light bulb go off. Yes, exactly. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I was on a call a few days ago with a couple of fellow growers. I sell at a, a cooperative to florists and they were like, Jesse, like, how are you still growing tulips? And I'm like, you don't understand. This is this is the fun part of growing fun part. no pests, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like no dirt, no getting wet. And I don't have to wash anything. It's the cleanest and quickest harvest. Yeah. So people who grow winter tulips, especially hydroponically, we joke, we're just like in the dead of summer, we were literally dreaming about harvesting hydroponic tulips. Yeah. So this workshop, do they recommend like, cause I get asked all the time, where do you buy pre-chilled bulbs? I'm like, I don't need pre-chilled bulbs. I'm in Minnesota. Although <laughs> we have been unseasonably warm right now. I'm a little bit worried. Like there are certain trees that are budding. Like we haven't had, it's been weird. It's been probably 30 to 40 degrees and only about 25 degrees at night, which in Minnesota, usually it's about 10 degrees at night right now. I mean, so our zone 4B, you know, on the map, it has your most extreme low and ours is negative 20 to negative 30 Fahrenheit. Like that's what we get at night sometimes, right? Like that's the most extreme, but we typically get a fair amount of snow so if that does happen, like in February is usually our coldest month, typically there's a fair amount of snow in there. And so what I have done with my tulips this year, and we'll see, we'll see if it works, right? So I have one entire high tunnel with two rows of, I think there's 13,000 tulips in there in the ground. And then my goal would be to start having tulips around mid-April here, because if we just let them grow outside, then they start growing around literally the... It never fails the day after Mother's Day, Monday after Mother's Day. That's when we have tulips outside with no high tunnel or anything. So for me, that's that's way too late. If I'm trying to sell tulips the last week of May, that people are over them. So that's why I grow them in the high tunnel. And then, so I have the high tunnel that I'm hoping, last year I had them around April 8th, but March was really cold. I think the high the entire month ever was, I think 22 degrees last year and it was cloudy. So the high tunnel never got above 40 the whole time. So the tulips were a little bit later this year. I bet they'll be sooner. I've had the sides completely up since I planted them because I don't want any extra heat in there because I don't want them to start thinking it's spring because we don't have any snow. But so that's how I do those tulips. And then I have another 7,000 outside and I'm going to try doing like some tulip you picks. It might be a disaster. I'm trying to figure out, I did a lot of single bulbs there, but the problem is going to be you know, obviously my U pickers, they're not going to pull it up by the bulb. So they're just going to cut it off or, you know, so I haven't quite figured out how we're going to do that quite yet, but, you know, really stagger it out. But 
I have about 3000 tulips that I did in crates in dirt this year. And so what I did was I stacked them on pallets. So each crate has, I think 80 tulips in it or so. I did a little bit of cardboard, a little bit of dirt, and I just used black dirt. I didn't use potting mix or anything. Cause we still had some leftover from when we did like our excavating around our house, because I mean, you just need a medium, like you said, with the water, with the dirt, you don't need nutrients. You don't need to waste potting mix or anything. And then um, filled them up. And then I have them stacked on pallets in cold storage in one of our sheds that's completely unheated. I'm just hoping it's getting cold enough in there. And then my plan is I will move it. You know, they're already on the whole pallet fork. So I'm not going to be manually moving crates. I'm going to move them into my heated shop. And then, you know, it can be about 60 degrees in there. And then I'll just, I don't know, try to see when they start rooting. And then I'll move them into one of the high tunnels that warms up from the sun. And I'm hoping to have them by Easter this year in Minnesota, which is, you know, the end of March. We'll see. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've got like three separate types mm-hmm. of secessions, yep. we'll call it, yes. right? High and tunnels. so, I mean, to grow tulips at this volume, I definitely need to succession them out. Plus yeah. I have an enormous walking cooler that I could fit them all in if I needed to on the bulb. I could fit 15,000 tulips in there if I had to. It'd be tight, it'd be tough, but I could do it. And so that's that's kind of my plan is to really stagger them out. Otherwise, you know, if you had this huge volume, how do you move that many at a time? Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and I am going to tell you all about my other podcast, Bloom and Grow with Liz Fiddler. In the early days of the Sunny Mary Meadow podcast, we had bonus Bloom and Grow episodes where I shared some personal insights in my experience with love and loss and grief, and ultimately, we decided it needed its own podcast. So you can click the link in the episode this very episode and hit the subscribe button so that you get alerts when new episodes come out. The Bloom and Grow podcast with Liz Fiddler is where we share stories of those who have grown through grief and break down barriers that isolate us in those challenging parts of our lives. We know that time doesn't heal, but intention does. And the weight of grief doesn't get any lighter, but we can get better at carrying it. This podcast isn't just for those going through something sad or difficult, but also for those who know someone who is by sharing tips and perspectives in how to be a better support for your loved ones that are grieving. If you're interested in hearing more, click the link in this episode's notes so that you can subscribe and check it out. And thank you so much for blooming and growing with us. So when you say 11,000 tulips in the winter, how many are you doing at once per week? Valentine's day. What are you doing there? Yeah. So to your point, it would be impossible for me right now. I'm entering my third year to move 11,000 tulips in a single period of time, right? Like that's just a lot. Yeah. So that is staggered throughout, I would call it about four months ish. So Mm -hmm. I got my first tulips actually two weeks ago Mm -hmm. or no, sorry, a week ago. So we're December 19th, right? So early December, we'll call it. And then I'm planning on having my last forced tulip by Easter. So okay. that would be March 31st in 2024. And then afterwards, the field grown tulips will come in. So I would say that every week I root about two to three trays, depending on time of year. So mm-hmm. again, each tray we'll call about a hundred. So that's only about 200 that I'm rooting each week. And then when it comes to Valentine's day, my goal is to max out. So I only have 30 trays actually, right? Okay. So- I was just about to ask how many trays you have, but then you're just 
the minute you harvest, you're filling it back up, I would assume. Well, so you have to let the whole entire tray turn, right? So the ability for your tray to turn quickly is obviously going to help you minimize how many trays you need. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, you know, my goal is, look, even if a couple are not blooming, I'm going to take them out because I'd rather use that tray more quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So this time of year, a lot of people are getting ready for Valentine's Day. So for Valentine's Day, I will try to max out at around, we'll call it 3000 tulips. Um, Mm -hmm. And the rest of the season, you know, we're looking at maybe just a couple of hundred a week. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you say that, it reminded me of my first year, season one, no, season one, I call it, when I just had my little farm stand and kind of my garden that wasn't meant to be like a cut flower farm. It just was going to be a cut flower garden. And I started selling the bouquets somewhat, you know, accidentally sort of. And then I took the money from that year and I bought a thousand tulips to grow outside for the following spring. And that was when my husband had passed away that winter. And so like, I had these thousand tulips in the ground, which at the time was like, what am I going to do with these thousand tulips? And now it's like, now I grow over (laughs) 20,000, but I made the dumbest mistake. And again, rookie mistake. You don't know. I couldn't afford, or, you know, tulips are expensive. I didn't have wholesale license at the time. So I'm just buying them retail off of random websites that are pretty much the leftovers of other companies, you know, that they buy them from for cheap. Again, you don't know that when you're starting out, the bulbs are tiny compared to when you get them from an actual legit wholesaler, you're like, wow, this is weight. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, this is heavy. And then, you know, they're, they're mixes and they market it as like, oh, it's so fun. And like their, their pictures on their website of their mixed garden is like perfectly staggered when like, nope, you're going to have 70% yellow and you know whatever and yeah. I learned the hard way of growing tulips in mixes how hard that is to harvest because now I have one completely blooming and one that is two inches of greens and I'm using my potato fork trying to dig them up by the bulb but I don't want to disturb the other ones next to it because they're not ready yet and I probably had a for sure honestly 60% loss more than half because I would break off the one next to it and that one wasn't ready or I'd pull them too early because it was, you know, intertwined. The roots were with one. And so keeping, you know, growing an entire type, you know, not, uh, not intermixing varieties. And I would imagine, like you said, with the hydroponic trays, yep. They need to all bloom at once. Otherwise you're just waiting on them. And then it's. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've mixed and matched varieties within a tray, like especially Mm -hmm. last year when I didn't have a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I look back on it, that was stupid because one variety would, yeah, (laughs) it was stupid because one variety would take two weeks longer to mature and bloom. And then I've essentially wasted half a tray. Mm -hmm. Right. So like one of the things about winter tulips, I think is that, you know, if you're, if you're like a hobby grower or, you know, like you said, you don't have like a business license, trialing here and there is fine. Right. But if mm-hmm. you're trying to scale this, yep. then you really need to start thinking about just like the math of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So the math of it just starts with first, obviously buying from a wholesaler to your point, instead of buying it on clearance. Yep. Um, and, and you had actually asked this question earlier about just like sourcing bulbs. Yeah. So one of the things that I learned in my trial run year was I sourced from a very reputable supplier. And that reputable supplier was able to provide good quality bulbs for the field. So when you hydroponically force diseases, mold, all that stuff becomes a lot more fast spreading 
than if you were to plant in the soil. So there's a lot lower of a tolerance in terms of the quality of bulbs that you can receive. So I had asked the supplier to actually pre-chill the bulbs for me and send them out to me in December. And when I got them, there was like a crate that smelled so bad. And the other crates were just like, the bulbs were compromised enough where I didn't feel comfortable. So a lot of them actually went out into the field. So Mm -hmm. one of the benefits of taking the tulip workshop is that the other instructor, her name is Linda DeArco. She runs little farmhouse flowers. She started basically importing bulbs and her bulbs have to, for the last, you know, two years been really, really high quality. And because she does winter forcing and hydroponics, she knows exactly the type of information to make sure she's getting from her supplier. Because going back to that other reputable supplier that I supplied from or sourced from, I realized that when I asked them, hey, how many cooling weeks did this variety have? They kind of just gave me a ballpark estimate because they didn't fully understand what I was doing with that information. Correct. So you have to, in some ways, like work with a supplier who understands why you need that information, why it needs to be precise. So Mm -hmm. I ended up getting two inch parrots because they gave me false information about the cooling dates. Right. So luckily I had only done a try and that was for Valentine's day. And I knew, all right, I can't, I can't use any of these. So I put them out into the field essentially, but it's, it's one of those things where I think that you can learn the lesson the hard way, Mm -hmm. or if you were to do something like the tulip workshop, where now you get access to like a Facebook group, there's a lot of ways where you can accelerate either the failure process, or you don't fail because you have this like group hive mind type of thing where everyone's sharing their successes and failures, right? Yes. I absolutely love that. Like, so my peddling perishable products course, there's a little bit of, you know, a couple of group Q and a questions where they submit their questions. And because if you're thinking it, someone else is thinking it right. And it's people that are on the same, they've got the same baseline, right? It's not someone coming in and saying, how do you grow sunflowers? It's like, okay, like, no, we're way past that. We're talking about like LLC versus S corp here. Like we're, you know, like let's go. But I think that, like you said, accelerate or reduce the failures and not find out the hard way. You know, one thing that you just pointed out with the parrots being two inches tall, that's really interesting to me that I just thought of. So I found that one year, the first year that I planted them outside, it was like seven, I think I did. Well, so year one, I did a thousand and then year two, I did 4,000 last year. I did 11,000 and this year will be 20,000. And so, yeah, I have 20,000 tulips, but the, my plan is for them blooming the end of March through mid May. But last year, I think I did, I did like 130 mother's day bouquets, just like custom orders for mother's day with wholesale flowers that I bought and looking back and that was, oh, such a lesson or the worth. I, I don't even want to talk about last May. It was so bad. And I didn't price them the way I should have. I wasn't experienced with wholesale prices. Ultimately, I think I lost a fair amount of customers because they got this bouquet and they're like, well, this is like not very pretty. It's pretty small. Cause I made $30 bouquets. Cause that's what I sell is $30 bouquets. Well, they get like six stems if it's wholesale compared to what I grow. And I don't overstuff them. Like it, it was a really good balance and learning, but this year I want my own tulips for mother's day. Right. But the one year that I grew those 4,000 tulips outside, I didn't know exactly like, you know, as far as digging the trenches or how we do it. And, um, 
what I do now that works pretty well for me is I have a hand tiller and I have a skid steer tiller. And I know, you know, the till versus no till, but to me, I use the tiller for digging the trenches because it's kind of like on, um, oh, what is the movie? Shanghai Noon with Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan. And he's like, wet shirt don't break. And he's like, what does that mean? And that's what I have my fiance and I had that moment and I'm like, till dirt isn't hard. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or like, you know, and the, cause he's like, you said wet shirt, don't break, not piss shirt, Ben bars. And so I was like, no, watch this. And so I literally, I went and ran up, got the tractor, got this to get steer with the tiller attachment on it. Like I know how to do that now. And I, I did it down the row. And then I just took our big snow shovel and just like moved it to the side and it, like, I didn't even have to dig. It was like fluffy yeah. dirt. That was just perfect. And as long as you do it immediately, because I've seen some people do like temporary raised beds, that type of thing. But for me and my, where I grow outside, that doesn't work because I have rows of grass in between it. The first year that I did it, I just kind of like flopped some dirt on top of it. And I think the tulips were like an inch underneath the dirt. Like it was, they were not deep enough. It was so hard to tell. It's hard to tell how how deep they are. So with hydroponic, you don't have that dirt for them to grow through. Cause I found that, okay, if you want longer stems, plant them a little bit deeper and then, you know, that helps. So what do you, I mean, is there anything you can do about that or just. So there is definitely the influence of varieties. There's a variety I love. It's called Foxy Foxtrot. It's got this like creamy blushy yellow, right. But it is known to be a short tulip, right. So Variety definitely has an impact, but the other piece that also has an impact is cooling time. So every variety is going to have a different requirement for cooling time. And that cooling time typically varies from like 14 up to like 18 weeks. So if you can provide a shorter variety, like a Foxy Foxtrot with more cooling weeks, then you can potentially maximize your chances of getting a longer stem. And then in the field, obviously, when we say like, hey, plant a little bit deeper, that also does encourage the tulip to stretch a little bit higher, right? But then it also means that you're digging deeper. Exactly, exactly. And the risk of the stem breaking off. And And then you have to dig the bulb. And you have to dig the bulb, yep. Yes. Otherwise, for those of uh, listeners out there who don't know why you would want to still dig the bulb up, you would get foliage the next year with no flowers. And then it's just like, especially with the double varieties that we do. If you do a single variety, like in the garden, yeah, you might get a flower back, but the double varieties and no, it just, just trust me, just trust us. It doesn't work. If if we could, we would. Um, So how do you move all of your tulips? I have a CSA where I offer both delivery and pickup, but I only have about 20 shares and those are every other week. So they start first week of January and end basically in mid-March. And when I did the calculation, I was like, if I do every other week, I need to sell basically over a hundred shares to move over 10,000 tulips. Mm-hmm. And that's just like logistically not possible for me. Cause I also have a full-time job. So then I was like, let me lean into my strengths, which is is shipping obviously from my other business. So I am now actually moving them wholesale, both through florists who I've already worked with this year, but I am actually now starting to ship to designers. And I'm also finding that other growers who still want to offer something to their customers are also coming to me for, for purchasing these stems. So ideally I like to ship within like a certain radius, right? So I live in New Jersey, like New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Delaware, 
Mm-hmm. like that kind of zone, but I have been shipping to like Maryland and North Carolina. And I'm actually able to keep the shipping like under, I would say $30 overnight for the most part for like yeah. six bunches ish. So it, it works out basically for everyone from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. And you, you got to get so creative, so creative. And that's what I always tell, you know, my students that are trying to figure out a business. They're like, what about the competition? I'm like, stay in your lane. It's not intentional, but I don't follow a lot of the other flower farmers in our area. I mean, I, I follow them on Instagram, but I, I don't check their stuff. They're not in my algorithm. Cause I, I don't want to know. I don't want to worry about it. I don't want to copy them. I don't want to all of a sudden get sidetracked. Cause I'm like, well, they're doing this in this area and it's successful. Now I got to do this. Like, no, what I'm doing is working. I'm happy. I'm content. I, I, I feel like I have a <laughs> work-life balance. I hate using that phrase, but I I do feel like I do. And so whatever works for you. And so if that's, if that's what you're going to do, you know, and you're good at the shipping and you just get so creative and moving the product. Yeah. I mean, the competition piece is interesting because I have a bit of a different perspective on that. Like just from selling to all of these designers at this cooperative that I talk about, you Mm -hmm. know, so we we're, we're a group of like six growers right now. Mm-hmm. And we sell to a broader group of florists, like a couple dozen. And yep. these florists come from all over, like New York City, Philadelphia, even around New Jersey. And oftentimes they have to shop around multiple co-ops mm-hmm. and still bring in imported flowers. Yeah. And I, I mean, last summer there's three growers. I bought thousands, thousands of dollars of flowers from them to fulfill a lot of my orders. Cause I would have like, you know, whatever. And it just, it, the demand is there. It's just, the demand is there. Find the demand and not every flower farmer within like a 20 mile radius should be chasing after the same customer, right? There's enough customers out there for people to basically share. And if not have more flower farms, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, that's so awesome. So I love, honestly, I would love to do this. I have an unfinished basement with a in-floor heat. That's literally 60 degrees. But my fiance would kill me. <laughs> like he, he literally, he's like, I'm cool with anything, but he's like, no flowers in the house. I'm like, oh, wow. like there's enough um, outside. Yeah. And then for me to heat a greenhouse, I mean, we've looked at it, you know, my flower shop right now, we still have water running in there. We're still doing it. We'll probably shut it down. And like, I mean, he'll get the air compressor from work and blow out the lines. And I mean, that's literally what he does is he works for a water treatment company or a water company, drill wells, whatever. And so I have that benefit that like, oh, we could just shut off the water so that it doesn't freeze. And, but then I have a heated shop that we can use if we want to, but again, like try not to use that. I mean, we try to park equipment in there and whatever, but yeah, just get creative and yeah, yeah, do what you need to. And I mean, if you had, if you have the space and you're heating it anyway, versus exactly the place and yeah. yeah, awesome. Well, where can we find your information, find your farm. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So in all of the episode notes too. So, yeah. So I'm on Instagram at bear flower farms. That's B A R E flower farm. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I do talk about these winter tulips. I tend to focus more on the business side of flower farming. It was just one of those gaps that I recognized when I was on YouTube that, Hey, how come no one's talking about the numbers? Like, Mm -hmm. you know how much you're bringing in, but like how much did it cost? Exactly. 
I try to be as transparent as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Even for a small side hustle, it is still hard to be profitable. So mm-hmm. um, I, I try to take uh, viewers behind the scenes as to what the reality looks like. And the reality is that if you are trying to make money, flower farming, it's not impossible, but there's probably more other lucrative things you yes. could be doing, right? You have to be very, very intentional. Yes. 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 You flower farm because you have a passion for it. You want to, not because you're in it to get wealthy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else you want to add? No. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Sunny Mary Metal Podcast. Thanks for having me, Liz. Thanks for listening to the Sunny Mary Metal Podcast. I'm your host, Liz. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook at Sunny Mary Meadow. Subscribe to our email newsletter at sunnymarymeadow.com. And if you have questions or comments or anything to say, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at sunnymarymeadow.com. Flowers, flowers, we love flowers. Sunny Mary Meadow, they smell so good. Sunnymarymeadow.com.